0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for this day and for this time together. We pray that you might speak to our hearts tonight, instruct us from your word and its truth, help us to see how we are to live in this day and time by observing biblical saints that lived so long ago, faithful servants of our Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, a few things tonight. I want to preface this. Uh, Some of you may remember what I said last week that Daniel is written, the book of Daniel is written in two languages. Chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 is in Hebrew, and chapter 2 through. So almost the last chapter is in Aramaic. And the reason of that is Israel was in captivity in Babylon, and that was the chief language of the nation. And God wanted people in that nation to know who he was. And the examples that we see throughout the book of Daniel give testimony to God's faithfulness through, among and through his servants. Um, I know that you've heard about Babylon quite some time. It's spoken of in Revelation, so we want to say a few things about what Babylon was and what Babylon is. Uh, Babylon was a nation. It was a city. I remember in... I don't know why some memories are so prevalent in my mind but I remember in 7th grade first year of junior high or first year of middle school depending on where you're from my core class teacher was teaching world history and taught us about Hammurabi's code and I never heard of Hammurabi before then the first written code of law and I already knew enough about Christianity and about the Bible that I was very suspicious of that. But way back when in the Dark Ages, when I was attending the public school of indoctrination, I knew there was some things there that they were already stripping from history. Babylon is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. They called it Babel then. Babel was, we talk about the Tower of Babel, but it was the tower that was built within the city or near the city. And it had been an active city for generations, all the way up until the time of the Medes and the Persians. It became a very great city. Some of you may have heard about the what do they call it, The Gardens of Babylon. They just All kinds of vegetation and beautiful growth and flowers coming, cascading off the walls. It was considered to be one of the greatest cities in the world at the time. A wonder of the world. And Daniel and his compatriots are in captivity, serving the king of Babylon in this record in the book of Daniel, and we're going to see some of the things that are going on there, but we also need to recognize Babylon was not just a place. In Scripture, it is also a metaphor. It is used throughout Scripture as an example. And these words, this is a quote of uh, from Martin Lyles. Um... Babylon is a place in Scripture, it is also a metaphor. It stands for the godless systems of power in this world. The rise and fall of Babylon is the story of history. In other words, Babylon has been on the rise and it's fallen, and it has, as a, as a place in history, as a city, as a nation in history, and it is on the rise as a metaphor in Scripture. John in Revelation describes the world outside the church as Babylon. He describes Rome as Babylon. And we today can say the same thing about the world outside the church. The unbelieving world is Babylon. The rise and fall of Babylon is the story of history. Babylon is proud, rebellious. It says... It has no need of God. It is shameless. It corrupts the innocent. It applauds debauchery. It mocks virtue. It cancels truth. It is obsessed with power. We feel helpless because it will not be stopped. It rises, it rises, it rises while every earthly weapon used against it seems to fail. Who can stop it? So, We're going to see the actual Babylon in history, but we also want to see that while God was using this nation to chastise and punish Israel for their sin, we can see glimmers of it in our own day and in our own time, if that makes sense. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was sixty cubits and its breadth six cubits. Oh, this is one of the one of the proof texts here. It doesn't look like a proof text about when Daniel was written. Let me see if I can remember. Uh, Daniel's measurements, or excuse me, Babylon's measurements, during this time in Babylon's history, they measured in, in increments of six. So you can divide six into 90 15 times, right? Yeah. Um, in Greek, when the Greeks took over, they measured everything by 12s. When Rome took over, they measured everything in 10s. So just by the measurement of this image of gold it kind of suggests, it gives good evidence that this was written when it says it was written about the nation it was written about. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, that's 90 feet thereabouts and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king Nebuchadnezzar sent a to gather the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. that's one thing that uh, we see in this ancient Babylon that we also see in modern Babylon there is this desire or design for total control I don't need to say any more than that they were wanting to do it then they want to do it now And they are pushing, selecting very carefully, test subjects, particularly among Christianity. Let's go after this pastor and that pastor this church and that congregation and see what happens and see how much pushback we get. If we get away with it with them, we can get them all. We've seen it in churches in Canada. We've seen it with John MacArthur's church in California. We've seen it elsewhere in the United States where they have tried to stifle the message of the gospel. And had they succeeded there, we would probably be suffering quite a bit more. Because that's one thing that Babylon of this age wants, is control. Verse 7. Wait, let me back up. Verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud people's, oh, people's nation's languages. Then when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigger, the harp, the bagpipe. They had Scots back then, too. <laughs> and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast in a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, And Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Um, These are men, along with Daniel, who have already appointed them chief magistrates, rulers in his nation. I mean, they are qualified men in charge. He is demanding absolute allegiance. No matter how qualified they are. No matter how much integrity they live by. No matter how faithful they are to their duties. You will bow, bow down and worship my image. You remember we said earlier that the spirit of Babylon is a spirit of pride. And we're seeing that here. Uncompromising pride. Now if you, verse 15, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in the matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of, our, out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they took a stand. Kneel or it's your life. You say, okay, we're not going to kneel. Our God is mighty enough to deliver us, and even if He doesn't, we will not kneel. How often do we see that attitude among Christians today? We have Christians today who will buckle with the word, you hurt my feelings. I'm offended. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Is the church not in trouble? Oh, where did that? I... Hmm. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury... And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the fiery furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, I don't doubt that at all. And just to imagine any of you people, any you guys. <laughs> Any of you guys do any grilling? I've got a long spatula. And when I'm grilling, if I get any part of it, and it's even on medium heat, my hair will singe back to the nub. And that's not hot enough to kill me. they had bound these three men in their clothes, in their hats, tied them up to where they were totally helpless. And these furnaces, there were furnaces that were used for blacksmiths, for metalwork, but those were kind of forge size so that they could feed the fire with bellows like old tiny blacksmiths that we know. But the furnace this is describing is probably something more along the line of a kiln where they would fire brick for building and they would have to be thrown or dropped in through the top hole, the exhaust. The focus of the heat coming up. And the men who were assigned to carry them to their death, it says here, they died from the heat. Verse 23, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, forgive me, I scrolled the wrong way. Let me catch back up. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fire furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. Somebody had to have told him. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. It's amazing. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now here he's changing his tune. Come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered together, and I saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies, over the bodies of those men. Their hair, the hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And he set the king's command, and he set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, this is written in the Babylonian language, the Babylonian tongue. And these are the words of the king who is demanding absolute power. Do you think the people of the nation are going to pay attention to what is written here? Do you think that the message of God was going out during this time in Israel's history, being proclaimed among the nations? God was at work here for a reason. He was preparing the soil for massive growth. We do know that God punished Israel, the nations of the north. They fell to the armies of Assyria. He punished Jerusalem and Judah and Benjamin, the territories to the south. They fell to Babylon. And the nation of Israel, the people, were scattered, most of them into slavery, from northeast Assyria all the way to Mesopotamia, down into Egypt, and reaching into Ethiopia and parts of Africa. One thing that many of them do, if they did not believe faithfully, they kept their traditions alive. It's one thing that was important to the Hebrews. They kept copies of their word. They formed synagogues in order that they would remember. They shared the stories of Moses, the stories of the prophets, the late scripture that they had. And once they could, there were three festivals every year, where the men were required, men in the family were required to journey to Jerusalem. And One of those festivals was Pentecost. And after Christ's resurrection, 40 days, 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon the people in Jerusalem. People who had come from all over the known world, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then going back home to spread the gospel. It wasn't just the disciples. It was very many, the thousands in the diaspora. God prepared the way. He's beginning here, preparing the way to spread the gospel. He's laying groundwork in Babylon and in Assyria and in Africa. While he is punishing Israel on one hand, he is preparing for a great harvest on the other. It's kind of interesting to see how God works, isn't it? But when we look at what these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, the names we read about, they're blasphemous names, so we really shouldn't be using them. The apostle Paul told the church at Corinth and he also tells us my beloved brothers be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that it is the Lord that in the Lord you labor your labor is not in vain be steadfast unmovable that's where our faith should be even if we are terrified faced with trial, tribulation, with jail. Our Lord never kept anything secret. He never kept anything back from his disciples or anyone who heard his sermons. In John fifteen, nineteen he was telling his disciples, If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Fact of life. We are hated by Babylon. We can, they'll get along with us until we know what we really stand for. We've been, there's an elderly lady up the street. She's a Jewess. She's Hebrew. And she is full of pride, and for the past year, we've been talking with her and praying for her and She called Teresa yesterday afternoon just to talk and uh she started talking about how bad Trump was and how bad DeSantis was, and all this you know and teresa how bad her neighbor was and And how bad the other neighbors across the street were just trash talk everybody. And Teresa said uh, well we're all wicked sinners and we need a savior. And all of a sudden she's, oh I'm having trouble hearing you. I'll talk to you later. Bring up the Lord. She shuts down. Let her talk. She'll get about as ugly as you want her to be. Or as ugly as you don't want her to be. But we remember from Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the apostles were commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. So what do you do in the face of a crisis, in the face of a trial? Remember that actions speak louder than words. And this doesn't have to be about our big decisions. It could just be within the closeness of our families. Parents who have children need to be consistent in front of the eyes of their children. You can tell them one thing, but if they see you or perceive that you are doing something other than what you say, uh, there may be problems down the road. So if I don't like small churches because you always know who you're talking about, uh, have a big church. You can say just about anything you want to, but be consistent within your family, within your home. Hypocrisy has its way of standing tall when it's there. Don't be hypocritical with what you're teaching, what you're telling. Live it. Remember also to have confidence in the Lord. These three men of faith, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they did not have confidence in their faith. They did not have confidence in their own holiness. They didn't have confidence in the positions they held under the government of Babylon. They didn't have any confidence in their works. They had confidence in their Lord. And that's where we need to place all of our confidence. That's who we need to live for. And realize that when you're in the fire, or when you're in the trial, or when you're in the test... You have the opportunity to be the nearest and dearest person to Christ. Why did he let me go here? Why did he let me in this place? Because he loves you and he is there. I've shared testimony of that in my own life. When, When I was and angry and bitter. I was more angry at him. But I still had this sense that he was always there. He just wasn't responding. Almost like he was in the room. He just had back turned to me. and Okay, we can talk when you settle down and grow up. Psalm 34:18 The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Job testified in his book, "When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold." Proverbs 17.3 The hiding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Some of you may be familiar with Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare a way before me. And The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Talking about the coming of the Lord. A lot of people think that that's going to be something wonderful, but Malachi says it's going to be like a trial, like a test. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap or a washer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. I was a printer, that's how I got injured, and I was a printer because I grew up in... My dad was a printer, he had his own shop. I was setting type, called hot metal type, before I learned how to print with offset machines. If you know anything about printing, you'll understand what I'm talking about, but hot metal lead type we had a couple of machines that we could compose anything we wanted and have it pressed into type that we can put in a chase and then put that in the printing press and print it and then whenever we were done with it if we knew we'd get a reorder we would keep it we had galleys to store it but if we do that it was going if it's dated or something we would take that lead big stacks of lead, lines and lines of type, we would take that and we would, the term was called hell box. It's what you use, where you put the old lead, it's going to be reused. And each one of those machines that formed type had a crucible in the back of it that was constantly hot. The lead they used to form the type was molten. And lead, if I remember right, lead melts at about 860 degrees. If you've ever got any of that splatter on you, it's going to blister. Ask me how I know. But you would get that old type and it would have some oil on it, it would have some old ink on it, and sometimes it would have some dirt depending on how long it had been waiting to be recycled. And you would take groups of that and put it in that crucible, and that crucible, the heat would just melt it down. In the top of it, all of the dirt that was on that type would come to the top. There's this little oily substance we would put in there that would help separate the dross from the lead. And it would come to the top and just take a spoon and scoop that dross off and throw it away. It was not worth recycling, it just went into the trash. He is like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. How does a refiner of gold and silver know when the metal is pure? The same way we knew that lead was pure. When we would scrape the dirt off of the top of that lead and saw the clean lead underneath, I mean, you could stand and it would be a more clear image than if you were looking in a mirror when you can see yourself. And when God refines us in holy fire in sanctifying tests, we wonder, when will this stop? Lord, have mercy. He's trying to see himself in you. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He's not trying to get you to look like yourself. He's trying to get you to look like him. These servants in the nation of Babylon were faithful to live that way. We will not bow to an earthly king, especially when he's made an idol of himself, especially when he demands complete obedience. Now, these men were perfectly willing to do their duties as agents of the state until it came to the time of worship. If we ever have any confusion in this day as we serve this world, serve the Lord in this life, we may be working for Babylon. I don't know where you work, but if they start asking you to compromise, that's where you draw the line. Fulfill your duties as an employee. Serve your employer well. But don't compromise your faith. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, the apostle wrote, In this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are called to be like Christ. We are called to live faithful lives. Excuse me. 91st Psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I will trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wing you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that, that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that waits at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and on the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love I will deliver him I will protect him because he knows my name when he calls me I will answer him I will be with him be with him in trouble I will rescue him in honor and honor him with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation now to kind of anticipate some questions about that. Does that mean God's going to keep us safe? No, ultimately ultimately this is a messianic psalm. It's talking about Christ and his relationship with the Father. and the Father is pro- proclaiming that his mission, his ministry shall be successful, but even he suffered. The success and the victory he brought is eternal. From our earthly viewpoint, he died a criminal and a loser. In God's heavenly viewpoint, he was a faithful, glorious victor. Remember our lessons from Revelation. We get an earthly view, we get a heavenly view. And that's what's going on here now. We are to be like Christ. And we can trust in the what he has done for us, we can also hope that we might be delivered during trial, but we know that when we are, it's going to be an eternal deliverance, maybe some temporary suffering on this side of the grave. Does any of this make sense? Avez-vous une question about Daniel 3? Many of the commentaries will say that uh, they assume that it was about himself and I have no problem with that. That's probably why he was so angry that they wouldn't bow to it. They weren't acknowledging him as king and ruler. He was a man who was very proud. And we'll see that in chapter 4. No, it doesn't say that specifically. spit it out. What? That makes sense, yeah. they're given some sort of new revelation and so they create this new this is how we are to worship or right? yeah. like when we when were doing church history said, mm-hmm. you know I think you see that they too like they still because I was thinking how can you go from right this God who knew red new history and then interpreted yeah. it to all of a sudden worshiping this so I was thinking the same thing and I was thinking we do that in Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I I have a tendency to kind of accept what you're saying. I can agree with that. I I cannot disagree with it because it's not specific in Scripture, and we do know that Scripture. From Exodus and Deuteronomy, when the commandments are given us, make no image, and there are people in reformed circles today, like I've said, would be offended by that on the wall. Um, so you make a good point it could have been he could have been making an image of what he thought. Daniel's God looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are several commentaries that play it out that way. I mean, they even have illustrations in there. I remember seeing last year a meme on Facebook of that image. You know artistic drawing of uh, a courtyard and this image standing there and people bowing down and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abendo standing up and here's this one over here that somebody's labeled Karen, and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they get turned in. <laughs> uh, but in that it's showing this image that was described in the last chapter did not necessarily mean it was what it was Joe yeah, we'll, we'll do that next week Yeah. mm we no. Mm-hmm. yeah Yeah. But um I think he would had that's why you have all those officials from all over the kingdom gathered. Mhm. and because Mr. Winkler used to say uh I was that big Babylonian brass band is playing <laughs> you better buy. It. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been to India twice, and uh, the Hindu has thousands of gods, so you can go up to someone in India and share the gospel with them if they speak English, and they will easily accept it. They have no problem with adding one more, but it, yeah, they want to be safe. it's It's not final, no. They do not. They do not turn away from their other idols, their other gods. They do not stop offering to the idols, in the, and, and we have, you know, in America, they say we have a church on every corner, and in India there is a an idol on every corner, literally. And you can walk by and look inside and see all kinds of food around the feet of these idols, where people are bringing offerings, and they have no problem with adding one more. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you have given us this time together, and we pray as we sort through these truths, these lessons that we may realize. Pride has no place in our lives. It's dangerous. It's destructive to our souls. And we find no blessing from you when we protect it in our own hearts. So Lord, teach us to be humble and teach us also to be courageous and bold, trusting in you, Be with us this week as we follow. Protect us day by day, particularly the Fergusons as they travel. And Lord, provide for our needs. Let us rejoice together with the blessing of generosity instilled into our souls and our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.